Try to learn from it though. I'm gonna lay out some steps for you to make that leap, make that jump. Ever felt like you were stuck in one place? Cause something was putting everything in your way. You want bigger things and even bigger dreams. But some things ain't as easy as it seems. Nah, I spent a long time chasing other people's dreams. I put my goals aside. I said it's for the team. I went around the world and met a bunch of girls. And some things I wouldn't change for the world. But I'd be lying if I said I was really happy. A lot of ups and downs. Some kind of sappy. I did a lot of shit, but it wasn't cause of me. Felt like a fraud, but Olivia supported me. To be real, I was scared to be out there No confidence in the failure I couldn't bear I couldn't measure to the talent that I was around So I had to turn the volume down on my own voice That was my choice Looking like a man, still feeling like a boy Knowing every day I would kill it if I did it But risking my ego, I couldn't live with it But I ain't getting any younger though I'm only 26 Gotta stop playing, start building for some shit And before there ain't no time left I'ma follow these eight steps My name is Trisha Ramos. I am born and raised in Tallahassee, Florida, and I'm 30. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> Half the people listening were just like, 30 is not old, you young jerk. Now when I wear short shorts, I'm like, hmm, that's some cellulite. <laughs> well, just don't give a fuck about it. So uh, what kind of town is Tallahassee when you were growing um, up? It's a college football town. It's the capital of Florida, but it's, I mean, it's not really much more than being like a football town. Like tailgating's a big deal. And football season, baseball season, like people lose their minds over that. And and there's a lot of like government uh, jobs out there. Like there's mm-hmm. like the, like my dad is an accountant for like the Florida accounting agency or something. Um, that deals with like all the senators and stuff like that. It's, it's not. It's, it's great if you like football. It's great if you're like going. Like people go to college there and then move on. Yeah. Like if you stayed past, like you probably have a sad life. I mean, there's just not much to do. There's not much to do other than play football and go to like the big college FSU or going to FAMU. Is there, uh, like, any military around there? No. Not that I know of. I mean, there's, like, in every high school, there's, like, an ROTC group. I think my little sister was part of one. Um, But not... Not, like, an airbase or anything? Not that I'm aware of. I know that there's a a Vietnam memorial um, that's down by a park... But I don't think so. I just, the the overwhelming presence of, like, football is mm-hmm. so, <laughs> it's just so much. Yeah. Like, I, it was never, like, I mean, I've gone to, like, a couple of football games. I've gone to a couple of baseball games. Like, I played soccer and I played softball when I was a kid. But it's just, like, it's, like, 110 degrees. Who wants to be outside on the field? <laughs> like, the fact that people, like, willingly are, like, let's go outside in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> no. What what was it like growing up there as a kid? 
like before you were old enough to kind of make your own decisions and like that kind of thing? Mm. Uh, I mean, I was outside pretty much all the time when I was a kid. Like, I mean, this is like before pre-internet and things like that. So it was like, you know, I mean, I got like, like we got like an NES when I was like a kid and that was like a huge fucking deal. Yeah. And, but other, like before the NES, it was just like, like maybe you would watch cartoons on like your TV that has like the loudest click when you're like turning the channels <laughs> and like I think at one point like the knob broke off and you would use like the like, butter knife pliers or something to turn it. Um, but I spent most of my time outside. I mean, there's a lot of like there's a lot of natural beauty um, in Florida, and I have a lot of memories of just like climbing trees, like picking up caterpillars and like roly polies and like stuff like that and like exploring a lot of like exploring the neighborhood because you're like a little kid and you have nothing to do and like I met my best friend when I was like nine years old and I mean I like I remember like (laughs) I remember being in my room and peering out the window and seeing her and another neighbor girl walking the dog and just like watching them walk by. Yeah. And then I think my older sister was like, why don't you go out there and like say <laughs> hi to them? Like that girl like walks her dog around on. I was like, okay. But I was really, I mean, I guess people wouldn't know now who know me as an adult, but like I was a like really shy kid and like I was very alone. <laughs> <laughs> and before I made that best friend, like, Fran um I just was by myself a lot and then once I made friends with her I mean we did everything together but it was kid stuff like go to the mall go to like the Walmart like yeah (laughs) the boring stuff that you have to do because you don't fucking live in the Bay Area like (laughs) you're gonna go be like punk ass kids walking around like a Walmart at like 10 p.m. like stealing plastic jewelry like stupid stuff did y'all have one of the 24-hour Walmarts yeah it was we had, I think it's still there. Um, I think there's only one or there's two. There's two Walmarts in Tallahassee. And one of them was like, you kind of drove a little bit outside of Tallahassee to like the boonies where it's like even shiftier people in like giant trucks with like Civil War flags. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever that's <laughs> called, Confederate flags. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't think people who like are born and raised in cities really understand that like, Walmart parking lots, Kroger parking lots. Like, they were the place to be on, like, nights and weekends. It's also, like, nightmares. They're, like, the places <laughs> where you, like, see fights and things break out, and you're, like... Oh. The, uh, that documentary, Walmart, The High Cost of Living, uh, had a list of all, like, the Walmart parking lots people had been killed in, which included <laughs> ones from, like, my home area, too. <laughs> I don't know, um... I don't know if it's because of this that that public's closed down yeah but there was a Publix in Tallahassee that when I was it was like I was a kid so I didn't even know about it but a a husband shot his wife and himself in like the parking lot and like killed himself jeez and that Publix had been closed since I was a kid so I don't know if it was like they could never recover from that like (laughs) murder suicide or like what but there's yeah it's funny how you have to make that it's funny how you had to make that fun though when you were a kid of going to like 
the Walmart at 24 hours or like going to a Publix or like a food lion or something and you're like like oh let's sneak beers out of the coolers because like the employees are like teenagers who don't yeah. care because they work <laughs> at like a fucking food lion or like piggly wiggly like is just like grocery store life I don't know <laughs> like, I don't know what you would call that there's yeah there's a lot of like wandering around businesses or like when like shops would uh, close down and stuff like that like there was a Staples that closed and the building itself just sat there for a long time mm-hmm. and i was like a little punk kid and i remember walking past it one day and i noticed that they hadn't boarded the doors and i was just like ah. like <laughs> i like went over and the glass doors actually separated and it was just like that um not tile i guess linoleum floor that yeah. typical shopping centers have um but nothing in it and so then like for a couple months afterwards my friends and i would bring roller skates and wait (laughs) until the like security guard did his loop around the parking lot and then we would duck into that building shut the glass doors and we would just skate and like spray paint and stuff inside this like abandoned staples that lasted for like a couple months and then i remember one day we came and they had boarded up so i guess they like got a tip or something i don't know that's such like do you remember the first Ninja Turtles movie with like, like when all the kids run away from home and you join the Foot Clan? <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like an arcade with like a half pipe. <laughs> like, oh my god, that, yeah, that was my youth. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Part of your ninja training. Yeah, I think that there's. I f- I feel like the people I know in the Bay Area, like they have had so much to do and shows and like conventions and festivals and like it seems like there's always something to do out here in yeah. the area and it's very slow living <laughs> like you kind of have to make your own entertainment when you grow up in like a small town in the south yeah and so there's a lot more like a lot more shady stories <laughs> and like <laughs> and a lot more like I don't know. Maybe that's why so many bad things come out of Florida is because we're all bored and we have to find <laughs> things to do. You have to drive 10 minutes to get anywhere. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you talked about like how punk music was super big for you growing up. Or I guess punk is like a culture, a scene, however you want to describe it. The subculture I latched onto in my youth. Yeah. How did you get into it? Um, I... Yeah, basically... My older sister, I don't know when she started to get into, like, the goth scene, but we have a four-year difference, and so she was, like, when she was a teenager, I was preteen, she was, like, full-blown, like, onk necklace, like, Smith's Cure poster, like, super uber goth, and I wasn't so much into that, but she had a best friend who was, like, super punk tink girl, kind of chick and uh and I idolized her basically and so every time she came over I remember being like 11 and like looking at like her hairstyle and her clothes and like the band shirt she wore like what band was on her shirt and basically like any of her music tastes I would like write down and then like go to the CD store which is like two blocks away I like bike over and like listen to their little listing stations of like like the sex pistols and like the Ramones and stuff like that and 
I guess that's how I got into it. And then I met other punk kids when I was 13. Yeah, I think, like, when I was 13, I had, like, a buzz cut and, like, I wore, like, lots of tank tops. I would, like, write, like, fuck off on the coast, <laughs> like, on the front. My, and a Sharpie? My dad was so ashamed. <laughs> my dad hated when I was, like, super punk or whatever. But I think when you're a teenager, I think when you're a preteen and teenager, you, like, that's when you start experimenting with identity and, like, getting into music and things like that. And I don't really know why I I found, like, the punk lifestyle so appealing, but I just did. And I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of, like, bad memories and yeah. of, like, experiences at punk shows and things like that. But it's a hard, like... I feel like punk rock is, like, a hard subculture to want to be in because there's just there's so many differing opinions and like strong opinions about things and like i don't know it definitely goes against my uh my stay-at-home lifestyle (laughs) my like keep to myself lifestyle yeah it's like i go to shows nowadays and like i'm like in a dark corner like i hope nobody looks at me while i listen to this band i really like (laughs) you don't notice me but once you were in it, what did you get out of it? Like, what worked for you? Mm, I think what appealed to me... I think one of the biggest reasons I probably got into it was because I grew up in a football town mm-hmm. and everybody was, like, a jock or football <laughs> player or redneck or whatever, and it's like that was the one thing to make myself different was like, I didn't, I didn't want to be like that. And I didn't want that to be my future. And like, I never, I always knew I wasn't going to stay in Tallahassee. Like I was just like, it's not, this is not where I want to be the rest of my life. And I think that that's what appealed to me about punk rock is that there was, the scene was basically like 10 kids and that's it. And so it was like, we're different and we're standing out and like we don't want to be here and we don't fit in with like Tallahassee and I I guess that's why (laughs) why I was so into it is like you also hate being here and like want to move away one day and like I know I think kids rebel in any way and that was just the way that I did was shaving a mohawk and you know like going to punk shows did you have like a full-on tall mohawk or like a shorter from basically when i was like 16 or 15 that was when i cut my first mohawk with uh, my best friend in high school at the time uh this girl casey and we both shaved our mohawks uh her boyfriend and a friend helped us do it (laughs) what was that noise um and it was actually pretty funny because we we shaved our (laughs) mohawks in my bedroom in my house i grew up in and my little sister, who had to be like like nine or something at the time, she was really young. Remember we like finished and we were like looking at ourselves and, uh, and my little sister came in and she looked at us and she was like, you guys are so ugly. <laughs> and then she laughed, but she said it in this like, you guys. 
disappointed mom voice. So ugly, except nine years old. Yeah. So. <laughs> but it, but that was like the effect we wanted was like, yeah, we don't want to look cute or attractive or. Yeah, like, it's like instant success. Like we win. Yeah, like oh okay, good. This is what we wanted, and I think I I had like weird colored or cut hair from like sixteen to like twenty two years old, and. I had a mohawk, I had a bihawk, I had a trihawk, I had like What is a trihawk? That's where you have like the big mohawk and then you have two side <laughs> ones. So you look like a dinosaur, yeah. basically. <laughs> like I yeah, I try I did like every haircut. I think I looked best with the bihawk, but but you you I feel like you run this gamut when you're like a punk kid of laziness when you have a mohawk it's like the longer the hair is the more time it takes to spike it up yeah and then over time you're just like so lazy <laughs> i knew a guy who like i feel as though i consistently saw other punk girls who he was like currently sleeping with would like do his hair for him <laughs> just like you're such a dick <laughs> getting other girls to like spike his mohawk yeah i think eventually i i stuck with the like short buzz cut with like bangs i did that for like several years dying at different colors and stuff like a tank girly kind of cut yeah like a, like a chelsea a pixie chelsea kind of thing except yeah. it's like it's like buzzed really short and then you just have bangs i had like a skunk stripe like dyed hair once that i i think i looked good with was it because of rogue or was it just like no it was, <laughs> um i think it was i think a friend did it and it looked good on him and or like we had talked about it and he said he was gonna do it and i like beat him to the punch or something <laughs> i can't remember exactly but the most punk move of all i looked better <laughs> <laughs> he would be really mad if you if you heard that well what kind of punk artists were you into like when you were first getting into it like who kind mm. of i mean the first the first punk band that i remember liking a lot when i like the first time i was going through all the punk bands and i found one that i actually could play the cd on repeat was probably the clash and oh which I one got, which album yeah i think the first one i got was london calling and then from there i got like they were the first punk band that i got like obsessed with like i think i heard london calling and i played it until it was like scratched and then i just got like all of their different CDs and like, I just remember like walking to the bus stop with my walking discman, yeah, and, uh, and like hoping that like I would not walk too hard because I would like, <laughs> skip it. Like, um, they were probably the first band as like a preteen, first punk band as a preteen that I was like, oh my god, this is amazing! Like, this is the best music I've ever heard. And I like found everything out about them like yeah. before Wikipedia. <laughs> like, so that was tough. Yeah. <laughs> And then from then, um, I started developing a lot more of my taste and like, I remember really loving like the distillers and like rancid and stuff like that. And I was very into the like street punk style music, like of punk genres. Like that was, I liked the street punk and then I liked the 77 punk. What's, uh, what makes street punk street punk? I feel like all the all the street punk bands were like the ones that had like their style of dress was a lot more like studs on everything, spikes on everything. Like their hair was always really crazy, and their music was a lot faster. Okay. Um, like faster, harder music. 
but I never really gravitated to pop punk other than uh, the band The Descendants, which is like, if I say I like pop punk, like people think I like the worst music, but yeah. it's like, but I'm like, no, just The Descendants, like just, <laughs> like, just that band. That's what I meant. But did I ever tell you like how I, I, I don't want to say that I'm like into punk, but how I started listening to punk. So like I. Uh, I got into Damon Albarn and like Blur, Gorillas, mm, like that whole mm-hmm. kind of orbit a lot. And he worked with a lot of those guys from back then. Um, I think Joe Strummer, maybe some guy. Joe Strummer from the Clash. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I was like, oh, this sounds cool. I'll like reach into these other genres and see what else I like there too. It was kind of like a rock music education. Yeah. Because I didn't really know anything about rock until like Rock Band came out. Mm. So. Um, with some friends online i was like hey what should i listen to and they recommended all these albums and i would listen to the entire album for like a week straight and just see if i liked it yeah or if i liked it i would listen to it for a week straight basically and then like try to write about it after and the clash was one of those bands where i was like oh like i get this yeah this is totally uh i can't remember the song now but there's a clash song that kind of has the same point as a killer mike song oh yeah and just in terms of like uh self-respect and defending yourself from the police and like charting your own kind of destiny instead of you know just being a song about like hey we're angry and everything sucks yeah like there is kind of like conscious intent in there that i got a lot out of i think it makes a lot of sense that like i mean my music tastes have evolved a lot as i've gone through my life um but there's definitely still a lot of uh punk that i listen to now and like and everything and like some of those bands I listened to back in the day but I think it's pretty telling that like as an adult I got more into hip-hop because I feel at least coming from myself from what I've seen I feel like sometimes there's crossover like ideals and like morals of being like don't fucking trust police and yeah like, <laughs> things like that and it's like well of course I would like something that's like radical thinking and like fuck the cops and then like get into hip-hop and i'm like oh this is kind of like the same yeah things with like less speedy guitars in it (laughs) (laughs) there's actually and that it's interesting because i think that they're well i don't know about like art a lot of artists today but i know that um this band um or there's this hip-hop group called doom tree and one of the artists is pos and P.O.S. Uh, used to have a punk band before he started doing hip-hop. And then on one of his albums, uh, previous albums, he actually had uh, the singer Greg from this punk band, The Bouncing Souls, mm-hmm. on a track. And he samples a Bouncing Souls song because that was a band that like he loved like growing up and really like a lot of the lyrics were some stuff that he could relate to. Which is funny because it's like my one music tattoo. I have a Bouncing Souls tattoo. Yeah. It's my 18-year-old decision. <laughs> <laughs> What's the tattoo? Just these. My broken hearts. But I actually kind of, like, I don't regret the decision of getting a Bouncing Souls tattoo. I regret that this is what I got because it's from their album. Like, the bassist, I believe, did a lot of their album art. And so there's, like, a broken heart thing that he does on, like, every album they have. And so I was like, I'm going to get the broken hearts tattooed. And then I just get, like, a bunch of, like, shitty guys all the time that are like, oh, you're brokenhearted. And I'm like, <laughs> I hate my life. <laughs> like, like chum in the water. I wish I didn't get this on my wrist where everybody can see it and ask me if I'm a brokenhearted girl. Yeah. That's got to suck. Um, you mentioned radical, like, thinking and politics briefly. Is that how you identify politically? Mm, I guess so. Um, I feel like I'm not 
I'm not like an overly political person and I don't really talk about my politics, but at the same time, I guess I do feel strongly about certain things like, like abortion issues and like being vegetarian and like, like the Black Lives Matter movement. Like I feel, I feel like the things that I do get involved with, I'm, I feel very strongly about them and I will talk about them and be like this is my opinion this is why i think you're wrong yeah but then other than that i'm like a very like peaceful like <laughs> i don't i mean like i feel like we're all gonna like die in this election coming up like, yeah <laughs> i don't i'm very scared for like the united states like either way basically if either of them went i'm like oh my god why yeah but i don't i mean it's nothing we can do <laughs> <laughs> what does radical mean to you I don't know I guess it means the same to me as like when I was a teenager of not going like going against the green like not going with the typical (laughs) (laughs) mentality standards lifestyle like I don't know making an effort to like like do the right thing and like make the world better and I don't know I don't do as much I go back and forth between like I'm not involved in enough stuff as I should be and then I'll like think like oh actually like I write reviews for this magazine and like I am one of the like East Bay Zine Fest organizers and like I do this and like I always think I'm not doing enough and then I'll actually take stock in what I do on like a monthly basis and I'm like oh actually like I'm slammed with stuff all the time and like yeah I should do less things like and I mean you live in Oakland, work in Berkeley, and you've been to uh, a couple protests in the last year, too. That was scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you were at the one where, what did they shut down, like the 580 or something? Mm-hmm. As, I don't know if my mom knows that. <laughs> 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 I'm like thinking about this podcast. I'm like, oh, shit, I don't want my parents to hear. Um, yeah, the last, uh, I think it was the last Black Lives Matter protest that happened in downtown Oakland. Um when all of the like I don't like want to get into that but like yeah. basically when all of the like sex trafficking and like rape and bullshit started coming out about uh, the OPD uh, there was a protest that went from Oscar Grant Plaza to Oakland Police Department and then they took it on to the 580 and I wasn't there the whole time like I was on the 580 for like 20 minutes and then I was hungry. I guess I don't have that great <laughs> politics. <laughs> like, I gotta eat something. Yeah. Um, yeah, we sent that one. And then and then my boyfriend and I were arrested at a protest last year that we weren't even a part of. We were just biking through and I fell off my bike and we got arrested. Wow. So <laughs> it was real fun. There was like people recording us and we're like, what's your name? Like, we want to make sure we have you on camera so nothing happens to you. And I was like, we just left, like, Captain America. <laughs> like, like, we were just leaving a movie at Jack London Square, and then we got arrested and, like, had to, like, go down to the police department, like, to see if we had to do a hearing and everything. And, like, and all I wanted to do was see that movie. <laughs> so that's why I don't go out. That's why I don't leave my house, because you'll be arrested by OPD. <laughs> Fucking Oakland Police Department. I had no idea about the Captain America part. That just makes that even funnier. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it was, um, I think it was Winter Soldier. Yeah. Because uh, that was the most recent one. 
It was a great movie, but... Oh, yeah, and it was really fucked up because the cop didn't believe that we weren't part of the protest. <laughs> well, the one who was arresting me, uh, the ones who were arresting Thomas were fucking pieces of shit. They're all pieces of shit. And, uh, but when I was getting arrested, he was like, well, didn't you hear, like, the cops saying to disperse? And I was like, dude, we were just biking home from a movie. Like, we just left a movie. Like, I could show you the ticket stub. Like, we weren't part of any protest. Like, we just went to see Captain America. And he was like, well, what was the movie about? <laughs> And I was like, okay, fool, like, you could just fucking look at a preview and, like, like, it was such a bullshit, like, you don't believe me, so you're asking me to prove by telling you a plot synopsis of Winter Soldier, which, like, also, if I hadn't even seen the movie, like, I could just watch a trailer and probably, like, fake it. Yeah. He was like, how does it end? Was it worth it? (laughs) Should I spend my money on it? (laughs) After I finish booking you, I'm gonna go see Winter Soldier at Jack London Square. They're so fucked up. That is incredible. That's my, <laughs> my recent arrest story <laughs> as an adult. Yeah. Um, and do you identify as mixed race? Mm-hmm. Uh, your dad is Puerto Rican, and what kind of white is your mom? <laughs> the most common of whites. <laughs> my mom is Irish, I think, and British. So she's Irish-British. Okay. The most, the most white, I believe. <laughs> She's translucent, actually. Yeah. Yeah. What does that... uh, Tell me about that identity a little bit. Uh, (laughs) It's... um, I am, like, the most white-passing mixed-race baby. I feel like... like, Yeah. My dad is, like, caramel skin, like, dark. And both my sister and I just 100% got my mom's skin... And I, I don't think that we look like we're Latina in any way, but I Thomas told me he knew I was mixed when he met me, which I don't know if he was just trying to be polite or what, <laughs> if he was trying to just get in there, but that's what he said. Um, yeah, I, it's an interesting experience because I feel like I will f- like forever be trying to prove that I'm not just white. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's I it's weird because I feel like there's so many white people who are like, but I'm an eighth Cherokee, and yeah. they'll like say like, but I'm all these different forms of mayonnaise, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, but I'm like legitimately like my dad is from Puerto Rico, like he grew up there, he it was got his like English wasn't his first language. I am 50% fucking Puerto Rican, but I just look white, and I don't know. It's a weird, it's a terrible feeling. It's a terrible feeling (laughs) to, like, I have a lot of, I have a lot of, um, like, self-esteem issues and, like, body issues with being white passing, and, like, I really wish I wasn't, and I know that I benefit from having white skin but to be <laughs> to be half white and then half filled at rage at this, <laughs> at this like fucking country and this fucking police state is so fucked up it's like i can exist in like a like a white circle of friends where they're saying microaggressions and i'm just in the corner just like arthur fist like <laughs> angry like <laughs> I love this dog outside, by the yeah, way. Yeah, there's a dog howling its for its life, I guess. <laughs> but you also speak, like, really, like, you're proud of being mixed race, too. 
I am. I mean, yeah. I mean, I well, I I can't save obviously for the entirety of Puerto Ricans, but I feel like Puerto Ricans have a lot of pride mm-hmm. in their island, and I. I mean, I love learning about the history of Puerto Rico. I love keeping up on current events. I'm definitely that person who has, like, a flag and a pin and, like, is, like, eBay searching, like, Puerto Rican mesh shirts. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, definitely that person. Um, it's, I think it, I, I think a lot of, like, a lot of my mixed race identity plays into my also just like my my personal identity of being very secretive and very quiet and at home and not outspoken and so it's like in my private time I'm like very passionate but when I'm like out and about I'm very like quiet and yeah like, which is also I mean I think that being half white I don't think it's my place to speak over people who are you know full POC like I I want to be, like, a good ally in the back, like, not talking over you, even though, like, half of me is brown. Yeah. I... It's interesting you say full POC, because I feel like it's, um... Like, I personally try not to say people of color just because of, like, how I try to think about things, but I feel like that if you're half Puerto Rican or half black, like, that's still full POC. (laughs) You know? I do. Like, there's privilege, which is, like, separate from that a little bit, Mm -hmm. but you still, like, that's still your identity. Yeah, I do have, um, I got into a conversation about a year ago with a group of friends about that, a group of, like, all, like, women who are brown and black, and they were saying that they feel like if you are actually, like, half and you're not, like, you know, a quarter or whatever, that, like, you are that. Like, no, like, if you're, you know, half Japanese, like, you're Japanese. Like, you should just identify as that. And I, I met a woman also who said that, like, she never says that she's mixed race. She just says, like, oh, I'm, like, black and white. Like, she oh, doesn't like say, that. like, I'm yeah. half white or I'm half black. She just says those two things are what she is. But I I think it's because of the fact that when I just say, like, oh, I'm Puerto Rican to somebody, I feel like I can see in their eyes <laughs> judging my skin that they're like, but you look white. Yeah. And, like, and I don't know if that's a, like, the self-esteem projecting my own insecurities. I mean, I'm sure it is. But it's, but it's like, me automatically on the defense of, like, she knows that my Spanish is really bad. Like, <laughs> like that person must know that, like, that I don't look typical or something yeah there was um that book loving day which i wanted to read and then you saw that i wanted to read it so you read it and then you told me to read it you never read it not before did you, you did oh, okay yeah <laughs> it's like uh it was your sample <laughs> yeah um but matt johnson wrote it and he's uh i believe mixed race black and white and i th- i thought the commentary on like being mixed race and kind of that whole conversation in that book is really interesting he i i loved that book there were a lot of portions in it where he talks about being light-skinned and how like the little things that make you feel like yes like i'm in the club like when he got like at the convention when he gets seated at the black table he's like oh like at least this is (laughs) happening like yeah that's like if i get invited on facebook to like some like latina event i'm like oh somebody like they, they recognize like, <laughs> like i it's like uh getting like an affirmation or confirmation that like 
you're it or something. Yeah. I don't know. Even when it's not like a hundred percent good, you're still like, at least I fit in enough to be <laughs> insulted. Oh. <laughs> and there was a conversation at the end of that book when one guy's like, like he doesn't get the mixed race thing because he's like, but a lot of us are mixed if you go back far enough. Mm. And that's like a whole other thing. And <laughs> yeah, like I'd never thought of that before that book for some reason. That's a whole like, like my my dad, he, even though he's like from the island, first language Spanish, he really uh, had, he had a, a really hard life growing up and he fought a lot with his father and he really wanted to get the fuck off the island and mm-hmm. he hated Puerto Rico. And so when he came here, he integrated so hard to the point of just like not speaking any more Spanish, only dating white women. You know, mar- he married uh, two different, you know, white women <laughs> and now a third as, as an adult, <laughs> I, I, another white lady. Um, and he just, you know, he didn't speak any Spanish to us other than like little things every now and then. And it's just like, it's so hard because I can see the way people treat him sometimes and like look at him. As a, as a kid, I didn't notice, but as an adult, I'm like, oh, like that person's being kind of racist to you. And like, and I just see my dad like smile, make a joke, shrug it off. And like, it's, it's almost as though my dad has convinced himself that he's not brown. Mm-hmm. Like he he works in this, you know, white job. He's married to a white woman in the suburbs. Like he's so disconnected that like even when I ask him like in last week uh there was a big fire in Puerto Rico and half of the power to the island went out and they just didn't have fucking power. And I called my dad to ask about it because I still have a ton of relatives who live um, on the island and I was like you know is, is like Nina okay is like Ninek okay and he's like oh I don't know and I'm like wouldn't your like wouldn't your first reaction when you find out something bad is happening where a bunch of your family is to make sure that people are okay yeah but it's like he is totally disconnected with his Puerto Rican life and that's just he lives in Florida he's this is his life like oh, yeah, it just, like, so happens that, like, he has an accent and, like, is brown. Mm-hmm. But it's just, I don't know. It's, I think that that's why it's so, it's been so hard as an adult to try to connect with that side of myself and that culture when you don't have a person to help you with it that's, like, this is why I want to get connected to this, like. Like that direct connection. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, help me. Uh, when did you start trying to uh, connect to that part of your identity? Uh, I would say maybe like 10 years ago. I, in, in Tallahassee, like I didn't have a lot of, it's, it's a lot of white people. It's, yeah. it's a lot of white people. And like, I mean, like there is a large black community and there are like predominantly black neighborhoods in Tallahassee, but it's, there's not a large Latino community. I think that's more like Southern Florida. And so I just didn't have a lot of other friends I could talk to and mm-hmm. I didn't like I like I didn't even realize my dad had an accent until one of my white friends was like your dad has a really heavy accent and I was like oh oh yeah like I had somehow not even really realized that my dad was not like all the other white dads <laughs> <laughs> like at soccer practice like my dad's like not slathering sunscreen on himself like 
I, I just didn't, I was disconnected myself because of my dad's own integration into the, the white community in Tallahassee. And then, you know, and then as an adult, like I started to get more into it about 10 years ago. And then when I moved here, it's again, the like advantage of Bay Area people. It's like, there are so many different people here. There's so many different community organizations, so many opportunities to mm-hmm. get connected with your culture and your history. And I don't know, I definitely got way more into it <laughs> once I was allowed to be in the Bay Area. Yeah. It's funny, um, just in terms of like how like our American culture, I guess, perceives stuff like this. Like, I don't want to say race related because that sounds so wishy-washy, but things that like involve like race and like how you're socialized. Uh, they just opened the Natural Museum of African American History in I DC, and like the lady who cut the ribbon or did whatever opening ceremony it was was the grand. I think that her grandmother was a slave, and it's crazy to think that like that's still so recent. That her yeah. You know, <laughs> like her living relative. Yeah, like um, someone made the point that like most black people are maybe one or two degrees away from slavery. Yeah. Either. Um, like your grandparents know some things that went down <laughs> or know people who did. And then if you look at interracial marriage, that was like the 60s or 50s. Yeah. The There's that movie loving, yeah, which looks really good. Mm. Um, and it's, now we're at a point where it's like, I think it's always been normal. I don't want to say that, but it's more obvious. It's definitely, I, I mean, and again, like going back to the being raised in florida like uh one of the biggest things i noticed when moving out here was the amount of interracial couples yeah like in tallahassee it's just not or when i lived there years ago it was like white couples black couples like that's that's just how it was and then when i came out here it was just like i was almost like astounded and like i I was probably making people uncomfortable because i'm like smiling like oh my god there's so many interracial couples i love it like yeah I don't know, but, and, and it's, what you're saying about, like, the, her grandmother being a slave, it sucks, though, that it's still not that far away, I mean, last, last month or this month, an interracial couple was stabbed in Olympia, Yeah, and that's, like, we're gonna be living very close there, (laughs) we're gonna be very close to Olympia, and, and my partner is moving to Olympia, and that was, like, like, a week, like, when I found out about it, I was, like, okay cool yeah like you're moving to a place where like it's like 83 percent white like it literally goes from like percentage of like thousands of people to like 350 people Mm -hmm. and i am very scared concerned (laughs) very concerned but i think that even just like as far as we have to go like where we're at for the most part is really encouraging yeah no, it's definitely, and I'm, I'm actually seeing every now and then, I, I have seen, like, like, there was, like, a Black Lives Matter march and protest in Tallahassee, and my first thought was, like, oh my god, like, Tallahassee, <laughs> like, you, you're coming such a long way, like, yeah. there's no way this would have happened, like, 20 years ago when I was a teenager, like, oh my god, that was so long ago, I'm so old, <laughs> 20 years. A lot of that's probably the, uh, internet, too. Yeah, that is definitely Tumblr and Twitter and, like, 
it's which is overwhelming sometimes like I definitely have to do some like okay I'm not getting it on Facebook today because like 20 people are gonna share that video of like another person being murdered by the cops today like gotta make sure that today (laughs) I don't go on the fucking internet because I don't want to be you know sitting in my office at work crying over everything (laughs) like let's swerve to something that will maybe make you smile (laughs) (laughs) so not the state of the world right now (laughs) yeah uh what makes you feel comfortable hmm like physically comfortable like however you want to answer it comfortable um the last time i was really comfortable that i can think of off the top of my head was uh laying at thomas's house like watching like how to get away with murder (laughs) under the blankets like stone sorry mom and with like the dog and the cat and then like he's chilling there too and it was just like just a like warm chill pile watching Annalise get away with murder <laughs> <laughs> like I think that the most times that I'm comfortable is when I don't have to be bombarded with news about how terrible the world is or the stress in my own life over like moving and things like that so yeah that's probably the last time I felt really good. <laughs> that sounds like, um, almost like family time. With my pupper? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dog is my son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think, um, he actually said, too, that, like, that's, like, when he's happiest is when we're just, like, doing nothing and, like, watching TV with the animals. Your dog is really eloquent. You know. <laughs> he's, a uh, he's a has a way with words, my alien child. <laughs> I also like aesthetically comfortable. I have a lot of memories of the times when it was not chaotic or stressful or like racist in Tallahassee. Like thinking of sitting like a warm night when it's like raining, but it's still warm outside and like being on a porch on like a porch swing. Like that's a really like pleasing mental memory for me mm-hmm. that is comforting and like if I think of that I can like feel calm 